Please stand for the reading of God's word. This morning's reading comes from Mark 5, 21 through 43. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus, by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him, and there was a woman who had discharge of blood for twelve years, and had suffered much under many physicians, and had spent all that she had, and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus, and came up behind him in the crowd, and touched his garment. For she said, If I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the, bl- the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they had said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping, weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is is not dead but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all aside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. The word of the Lord. In our passage this morning, we have two completely different situations, yet they are similar in the span of time that they cover. You have a woman who is hemorrhaged and had an issue of blood for 12 long years, and you have a little girl, 12 years old, that's lying on her deathbed. 12 years is a long time, and a lot can happen in 12 years. 12 years ago, George Bush was still president. Twelve years ago, America was on the verge of the Great Recession. Twelve years ago, Wade Phillips was still the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. Twelve years ago, the Kansas City Chiefs finished the season at 2-14, and and we call those the Dark Ages. (laughs) And twelve years ago, Josh Hamilton hit 28 home runs in the first round of the Home Run Derby and was instantly propelled into the comeback story of the decade. Yet where's Josh now? A lot can happen in 12 years. Where were you 12 years ago? 
It's probably interesting to think about the fact that about 85% of us here today had never even heard of this church. 20% of us hadn't even been born yet. Me, I was living in the basement of a small house in Columbia, Missouri, on Gibson Street, applying to seminary in St. Louis and Dallas had never crossed my mind. Melissa, my wife, had just broken up with me and was living on the third story of an apartment building in Beijing, China, doing everything she possibly could to get as far away from me as possible. <laughs> but like I said, a lot can change in 12 years. And yet, 12 years is a long time for nothing to change at all. 12 years is a long time for things to always stay the same. 12 years can feel like an instant when you're looking at pictures of your kids on your phone. And if I told you tomorrow that you'd be sick for the next 12 years, that would feel like forever. Time is really a funny thing. It's because time is actually relative. And some of you are like, no, Zach. Time is a constant. Time never changes. Time is certain. But that's not actually true. Time is relative to circumstance. If I had the ability right now to instantly teleport you to the nearest black hole, and you just did one orbit around that black hole, and then when you were done with that orbit, you instantly teleported back, you would find that everyone you ever knew and everyone you ever loved would be dead. They would have lived a full life. They would have grown and had their own kids, and they would have had grandkids. They would have retired and died in their old age, and they'd be buried and long gone, while you, on the other hand, would have only aged a few hours. Time is relative to circumstance. Time is relative when it's in the presence of the concentrated gravity of a black hole. And so it's really disorienting sometimes whenever we realize that the things that we take for certainty and that are concrete are not actually that. And that there are very few things that are certain and concrete in this life. Time is relative, but also our perception of time is relative to circumstances as well. Our perception of time is relative to the situation in which we find ourselves. And so, that's why minutes can feel like hours whenever you're waiting on a phone call from the doctor to give you the test results. It's why hours can feel like minutes whenever you're leaving vacation and you felt like you just got there. Our perception of time is very much related to our circumstances and whether or not we want it to slow down, whether we want it to speed up, so how does time feel for you this morning? Are you in a good season and you want it to slow down because you know that it won't last forever and that makes you uneasy? Are you in a hard season and you want time to speed up because you feel desperate and you're ready for it to be over? That would describe our story this morning because we see the same things occurring there that their perception of time is relative to circumstance because you have a woman who has suffered for 12 long years with the issue of blood, 12 years that are way too long. And then you have Jairus with a 12-year-old daughter who's dying and 12 years was not nearly long enough. And they're both looking for the same thing. They're both looking for something concrete in the midst of the uncertainty of their circumstances. They're looking for something to anchor them and to bring stability back to their life. And it's in our very nature to look for something concrete in life, to look for something certain, something that we can rest in, 
something that we know will always be there despite the circumstances that we experience, which is why a lot of times we go to the wrong thing. We put our trust in a person, hoping that they're always there to rescue us. We put our trust in the certainty of the next drink, knowing it's always there. Every time we pass a grocery store. We put our trust in the next show, because we always know Netflix is going to produce another one, and it'll help us numb out. And just avoid the uncertainty of life. And our story this morning teaches us really something very, very important is that there's a certainty and a concreteness that can only be found by faith. There's a concreteness and certainty to life that can only be found by faith. And so then, what does that kind of faith look like? What does a faith look like that finds that stability and concreteness that we desire in our lives? Well, verse 22 we come across the first character in our story. Jesus gets out of the boat, and he's immediately met by a man named Jairus. And Jairus is the ruler of the local synagogue, which meant he was a man of privilege. He was a man of status, respect in his community. And yet none of that matters. All of that's secondary. Because the only way you can describe, the only thing that matters, Jairus, in this moment, is that he is desperate. His 12-year-old daughter is knocking on death's door. And Jesus gets there just in time. And he runs to Jesus and he falls on his face and he falls at his feet and begs him to come and heal his little girl. You can imagine the desperation he felt and then the relief that would come when Jesus said, okay, and he goes with him. And then the crowd begins to follow them, waiting for the next show from Jesus. In verse 25, we then see the next character in our story. It's a woman with a hemorrhage, a woman with an issue of blood. Now, you need to see this woman this morning. The entire passage hinges on whether or not you see this woman. She has bled for 12 long years. And the text uses language that describes her suffering as excruciating. She suffered physically, but she's also suffered economically she has gone to every doctor, and every doctor sends her home without answers, and she has absolutely gone bankrupt trying to fix her hemorrhaging. But it doesn't work, and it only gets worse, and she has nothing left. She suffered socially because according to Jewish law, her bleeding made her unclean, which would have, which would have had a dramatic impact on her life. So she couldn't attend worship on a, a Sabbath, in the synagogue, because she was unclean. She couldn't even walk through the doors, so perhaps she sat outside on the steps, listening in. She couldn't participate in the festivals, and the feasts, in the Jewish calendar, where God's people would gather together in fellowship, and so perhaps she sat in the parking lot, watching from a distance, because she's unclean, and she can't participate. Anything she sat on was unclean, her bed was unclean, her entire home was unclean, Anything she touched became unclean. Why? Because she herself was unclean. And so she never had visitors, because who's going to come to her home? And she was never invited into anyone else's home, because who wants to have that in their house? People took a wide angle and rushed their kids along as she walked by on the street. She couldn't hug her grandkids. 
She learned to live a life of complete untouchability. She was an untouchable. And she learned to live in isolation and loneliness for 12 long years, only to have her problem get worse and worse and worse. And she felt each and every day the life literally bleed out of her. And then just in time, she sees Jesus walking by in the middle of this crowd, walking to Jairus' house. Now she's heard about this Jesus. She's heard about what he's done. She's heard about the things he's done elsewhere. And so when she sees him, she has this moment of just the slightest glimmer of faith. She just thinks, if I could just touch his garments, then I will be healed. If the slightest touch of his robe, I will be made clean. And so she comes up from behind through the crowd to go unnoticed, to not be seen. And she touches his garment. And when she does, two things happen. First is that immediately she's healed. And she knows it. No pain, no ache, no throb. She's healed. And secondly, Jesus stops dead in his tracks and says, who touched me? Who touched me? Now the disciples have no idea what's going on. You know, they're confused. It's like, is this a test? You know, like, everybody touched you. You're Jesus. You have a mob that follows you everywhere. And Jesus goes, no. Who touched me? Who was it? And he looks for who it was. In the middle of everything going on, he stops and he looks for who it was that touched him. And he finds her. And she comes to him in fear and trembling. Why? Because she just did something that was incredibly scandalous. She touched a rabbi. She touched a holy man in her uncleanness. I would imagine you could get stoned for something like that. And I'm sure when the crowd saw who it was, they were like, why are you here? Shoo! Why did you just touch him? You're unclean. You're the damaged goods. But not Jesus. He looks for her, he finds her, and what's he do? He gets down on her level and he listens to her story. He listens to her tell him what? It says the whole truth. Everything. He stops and he listens to her story. And he meets her face to face. And he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now what a beautiful moment in time, right? Unless you're Jairus. What about him? Can you imagine how agonizing this would have been for him? Put yourself in his shoes for a second. The agony the desperation, the turmoil that he had to feel in the midst of this crowd. You'd think, why are you stopping? Don't stop. My little girl needs you. She doesn't have much time. What are you waiting for? We have to go. Doesn't anyone care? Why aren't you listening to me? Why are you stopping? It's probably how you would feel if you're child flatlined in a hospital room, but the doctor stops off at the room next door real quick just to check on that person's cough. You would be untethered for your child. What would you do to save the life of your child? Can you imagine his desperation in this moment? How helpless he had to feel. How alone whenever he just wants his daughter healed, and yet Jesus' attention and everybody else is focusing on something else. It's frustrating when Jesus doesn't share 
our same sense of urgency. In the same span of time, that was the most life-changing deliverance for this woman was the same span of time in which it was Jairus' most devastating hour. Because right as Jesus is talking to this woman, Jairus receives word from people that came from his house, and they say, your daughter's dead. She's gone. It's over, Jairus. We're so sorry. You know, it's hard to imagine what would go through someone's mind whenever their worst nightmare becomes a reality. I mean, that is the depths of despair. Could you imagine what would go through his mind to be that close, almost there, to heal your daughter, and now she's dead, to go from a moment of relief to just going to the desperation and then the despair and then to feel like all of it was over? I imagine there's a part of him that blamed Jesus. Jesus, how could you do, how could you do this? That was supposed to be for my little girl. Where is my miracle? I'm sure he blamed himself. I could have done more sooner. I could have gone to Jesus earlier. I didn't. This is all my fault. And how difficult is it to see others blessed? You know, when you are down at the bottom of the pit. And worst of all are the words of his friends. Saying, Jairus, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore. There's no need to bother the teacher. What's done is done. And they're only confirming that the time for hope is gone. The time has passed. Nothing can be done. Why? Because death for Jairus, death for his friends, and death for everyone in that crowd was a constant. Death was a certainty. Death felt as hard and unforgiving as granite, and it was an immovable circumstance. And yet, that is not true. Because death is relative. Death, too, is relative to circumstance. Death is relative when it's in the presence of a resurrector. And the resurrector, in verse 36, turns his attention to Jairus, and he says, Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. And right there in that statement lies the tension of this passage. And right there is the tension of some of the hardest moments of your life. When you are caught between seemingly immovable circumstances and an unhurried Savior. Whenever one of them says, there's no need to bother anymore. And the other one says, believe. And you know that tension. You know that tension yourself. There's no need to really work on your marriage anymore. It just is the way it is. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. That relationship will never be restored. Too much has been done. There's too much damage to be redeemed and restored. And so there's no need to bother the teacher anymore. Your children have grown up and come and gone and they're out of the house and not following Jesus. You had your chance. There's no need to bother the teacher anymore. We know this tension. And yet Jesus would say the same thing to you that he would say to Jairus. That's why this story is here. Do not be afraid. Only believe. And you have to think that Jairus would think, believe in what? My little girl's dead. It's like, are you toying with me? 
Believe in what? What is Jesus actually inviting Jairus into? That's the most important question of this passage because it's the same thing that Jesus is inviting you into. And what he's inviting Jairus and us into is the simple faith of this woman. And so what do we see in her faith? What does her faith look like? Well, first is the where does her faith begin? It already says that she was sent home by every doctor. She spent all the money that she had only for her problem to get worse and worse and worse. She had no answers. She was without hope. And she was without resources. She had lost categorically everything because of this disease. She had no options, except when Jesus walked by, she believed in the simplest of ways. Which tells us something very important about faith. Is that whenever circumstances feel hopeless, impossible, and immovable, that is when faith takes on its finest form. There is a faith that can only be found at the bottom of the pit. There is a faith that can only be found in the depths. And that's where it begins. Because faith in Jesus really only becomes real whenever you've lost faith in everything else. Faith is found in the depths. But then what does this woman's faith actually do? What does her faith compel her to do? Well, despite her circumstances, despite her situation, and despite all evidence to the contrary, she gets up and she pursues Jesus. She actually gets up and moves towards Jesus. She heard of what he had done, and she believed that pursuing him would be worth it. Despite the shame that she might feel, despite the ridicule that she might encounter, she didn't give in to the despair and cynicism of her situation. She got up and believed that this Jesus actually has the power to do something, which means she put herself in a position to be willing to, be, to, to risk being disappointed. And she believed and she pursued Jesus. And we learn that her faith sees beyond circumstances, and it approaches Jesus with expectation. And as soon as you take away expectation, you have no faith. As soon as you take away the expectation that this Jesus can do something, his power can do something, then there is no faith. Faith and expectation go hand in hand. You know, it's so easy to focus on circumstances, and when you do, you fall into despair. And when you fall into despair, we lose all sense of expectation. And then when there's no expectation, there's no faith. Because why pursue Jesus? Why pursue Jesus whenever we think that he's just as powerless as anything else that we've tried? So why bother the teacher anymore? So we learn from this woman that faith gets up and pursues Jesus with expectation. But you can't stop there. Faith pursues Jesus with expectation, but yes, it believes that Jesus has the power to do something, but you really can't stop there. You have to go deeper. Why? Well, because this king is not a magician. And the most important thing we learn from this woman's faith is what does her faith find? What does she find in this moment of faith? And it's the most important point in all of this. Because if you consider her story, she only comes looking for a healing. Like she just wanted to get in and get out. 
She just wanted to come up behind, touch his garment, and go. She's just looking for a drive-by healing. She doesn't want to be noticed. She just wants to be healed and move on. But with this king, she got a lot more than she bargained for. She touches his garments. She's immediately healed. And Jesus says, who touched me? And he looks for her. He searches for her. And he will not move on until he finds her. What an extraordinary situation that is. In the midst of everything that he has going on, he stops to look for this woman. Why? Because this king is not primarily wanting just to dispense his power. He's looking for his people. He's looking for those that have faith to meet them face to face. He doesn't want to just heal her. He wants her. So she comes looking for a healing, but she found the healer. She met him face to face. He gave her himself. He stops and listens to her story. He listens to her situation, and yes, she's healed physically, but so much more. He gives her the dignity of being restored back to her, giving her life back to her in the eyes of her community, that whenever everybody else wants to shoo away from this woman, Jesus moves towards her. This woman is worth Jesus' time. This woman is one that Jesus wants to give his full attention to despite everything else that's going on and the fact that a little girl is dying. He stops and he sees this woman. And faith finds Jesus, not just his power, but his person. And isn't that the very thing that Jairus has the opportunity to do here? Because he receives the news that his daughter has died and he is in the exact same situation as this woman. Why? because the doctors have no answers for him. And his no amount of money can do anything to bring her back. And he's just as powerless and just as poor as this woman is. And he is in the depths of despair. And yet there are his friends saying, no need to bother the teacher anymore. Encouraging him to only see the certainty of his circumstances. But what does Jesus do? Jesus does the same thing with Jairus that he did with this woman. He finds him in the crowd. He looks for him, and he finds him in his desperation. And as the crowds and his friends are saying, there's no need to bother the teacher anymore, verse 36 says, but overhearing what they said. That's a bad translation. Better translation is, but ignoring what they said. Jesus doesn't even want to listen to what anybody else has to say, and he looks right at Jairus, and he says, do not be afraid, just believe. I've found you. Jairus, ignore all of this. Find me. Don't focus on your circumstances right now. Don't give in to despair. Find me. I've found you. Don't think about what I could have done. Don't think about what should have been. Find me right now in this moment. And Jairus goes with him to his home. And Jesus walks through the crowds and they mock him, making it even worse of what had happened. And yet Jesus walks in and he finds this little girl and he grabs her by the hand and he says, Talitha Kumi, little girl, get up. And she's resurrected. The story teaches us that the most important thing of all is having a faith that finds him in the midst of your circumstances. 
Yes, faith grows in the depths, and yes, faith moves with expectation, but most importantly, faith finds him in your circumstances. Why? Because finding him is finding something far more certain and far more concrete than anything that you want him to do, than anything that you want him to accomplish. Because if we put our hope in what we want him to do, then we will oftentimes be disappointed, will we not? Because oftentimes Jesus doesn't do what we ask, does he? He certainly didn't do what Jairus asked him to do in this story either. He invites Jairus to find him, to lay aside what he wanted Jesus to do, to stop focusing on his power and what could have happened, and instead find him. Why? Because somewhere along the way in this story, I think Jairus realized that Jesus never intended to heal his daughter. He was never going to heal his little girl. He was going to resurrect her. And faith finds Jesus. Because it holds on to the possibility that even though he doesn't do what you ask him to do, what he actually does is better. This woman came looking for a healing, and she found a healer. Jairus came looking for a healer, and he found a resurrector. Because this king is like no other. So what are you looking for? And what might you find when you find him? There's a concreteness that can only be found by faith. And when you find him, you find something even better than what you wanted him to do in the first place because you find something even better than his power because faith learns to say, Jesus, your love is my constant. Your grace is my certainty. Your goodness towards me is my certainty. And yet we miss out on all of that whenever we can't get past our circumstances and we don't move beyond the despair and find him. This king is like no other. Now, what about this story communicates that Jesus has forgotten about you? What about this story communicates that Jesus doesn't see you in your desperation right now? What about the story communicates that he's too busy? What about this story communicates that even though his timing is not the same as yours, that all hope is lost? Perhaps you're in the situation you are in the circumstances you're in, so that you can find him. And when you do, the timing will be perfect. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Let's pray.